join me, and let's head back and remember a time in which the Nokia ringtone was the soundtrack of our lives, and a pixelated snake was eating up all of our time. Today we'll be covering the history of the Nokia Corporation, from its humble beginnings as a pulpwood mill, through its evolution into the dominant mobile phone manufacturer. But really, that's just an excuse to talk about the game Snake, which Nokia popularized as a pre-installed game on its mobile phones in 1998. As part of that discussion, we'll be talking about the history of the Snake video game genre as a whole. So grab those Nokia bricks and join us as we connect the dots on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 175th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we'll tell you a story relevant to the current week in video game history. It can be about games or the people who make them. It can be about the technologies or the companies that make our hobby what it is today. While telling each story, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy today. We are all going to learn about the history of the Nokia Corporation alongside the history of the Snake video game genre, and explore how these two came together at an important point in gaming history. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who is always tripping on his own two feet. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, why can't you just get out of your own way? Well, Dave, they always tell you to walk with one foot right in front of the other, and it's a little tough if you don't have one foot a little off center, because they just keep bumping. So you have crooked, everyone's got crooked feet? No, you, you just you, you just have to have your feet not right one after the other, kind of one off to the side in front of the other. So you're telling me that the adage is wrong. One does not yeah. tri- trip on their own two feet. It, it doesn't work like that? Well, if you don't put one foot in front of the other, it does. Oh, so you're telling me I should put one foot in front of the other and just move on? Well, no. You have to make sure they're not right in front of each other. They need to be left in front of each other or right. depending oh, on which foot you're talking. <laughs> We're so dumb. All right. Speaking of moving out of our own way. <laughs> tell me, what does this week look like back in gaming history? Well, Dave, we're here in the first week of 2024, and we have some interesting things to look back on for this week. We do, do we? We do. 34 years ago in 1990. The Adventures of Lolo 2 was released in Japan. It was a well-received puzzle game released during the NES era. Ever heard of it before? Me? No. Come on. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, what else you got? In 95, 29 years ago, Sony established Sony Computer Entertainment Europe, their European publishing house. Okay, fair enough. What else you got? In 98, which was 26 years ago, you could finally live out your dream of becoming a Spice Girl when Spice World was released, which let you choose your favorite Spice Girl and use samples from their songs to create your own great hit. Oh, you know I was in love with that one. So, Oh, damn straight, Dave. And also in 98, Microsoft Windblows 98, 
a small collection of games that spoof Windows, Microsoft, and Bill Gates. Sorry, Microshaft Windblows 98. <laughs> Microshaft Windblows 98. So if you don't know that existed, you're welcome. Okay, fair enough. What else? A personal one to me. In 2001, 23 years ago, RuneScape was released. And if you didn't know, we covered an episode at 71. So go ahead and take a listen if you'd like to learn about it. And we called the episode Run Escape. Which you'd know if you listened to it, why that is. That's exactly so right. It. Go do it. And also speaking of our podcast episodes, we recently covered Gran Turismo in episode 173. One of the games of the series we briefly talked about, Gran Turismo Concept, was released during this week back in 2002. Whew. The year I graduated high school. Gran Turismo it Concept. sure was. Concept was one of those little prologue games. Like, like remember how we talked about the versions that were like brand specific type deal? Yeah. Uh, that was what uh, Gran Turismo Concept was. I think two, like Gran Turismo 2 era might have been in the three era if my timing is right. Someone's going to blast me for that one. So whatever. Indeed, Dave. Mm hmm. In 2006, Namco and Bandai merged to become Namco Bandai Holdings. Okay. That was 18 years ago. It was indeed 18 years ago. So Namco Bandai Holdings is officially an adult now. Weird to think that way, Dave. <laughs> also in 2006, High Moon Studios was acquired by Vivendi Games. They eventually became part of Activision when Activision bought Vivendi. So High Moon has functioned as a support studio for many AAA titles, including no less then four of Call of Duty titles and both Destinies. Both Destinies, High Moon Studios, huh? Yeah. Okay. And one of those was great. One of those was great indeed. In 2016, Daniel Mullins released Pony Island on Steam, which if you haven't played it, you should. It's weird. It's really weird and really fantastic. Do you by a chance know Daniel Mullins? No, Dave. Daniel Mullins makes metafictional games. That's all I'm going to tell you about his games. And I think last year I talked about one I played called Inscription, which was one of my favorite games. They're just really weird. If you're looking for something super unique, that's the way to go. And he's making a sequel to Pony Island right now. So, you know. So give it a play. Yeah, give it a play. Do it. And Dave... We have to say congratulations to a game celebrating its third birthday this week. Oh, what's that? That game, Dave, is Save Daddy Trump 2, The Final Triumph. Oh, oh, OK. I mean, if that's your thing, I guess go ahead and go ahead. Celebrate all you want. I'm sure that that was on the bestseller list for a while. <clears throat> Yeah, probably, but yeah, I don't know, Dave. That's a weird one. Anyway, let's dive into today's topic, shall we? Yes, let's dive into today's topic. So the written mention of the earliest, rather, written mention of Nokia was in 1505, in which a document mentioned two farms. They translate roughly to Big and Little Nokia. It's generally believed that this name derives from an old Finnish word that translates roughly to suit, as in like suit or ash, soot, soot, not suit, soot, roughly translates to soot, Martin. Martin's like a weasel animal and soot 
are a dark furred marten is more commonly referred to as a sable. Uh, and sables were believed to be hunted to extinction in Finland. I don't know why that's all relevant, but it's relevant. We're going to roll with that. Well, Mercury also failed, so. Mercury. <laughs> okay. All right. It did. The freaking Mercury. Sa- I get it. It's a good joke. That's a really good joke. So, yeah, these two farms make up the area that we kind of know now as the Nokia Manor and everything on it. According to tradition, this area, which is just south of what's called the Nokia Vertha River, has existed as a settlement since the Stone Ages. But as we went into the Middle Ages and civilization kind of developed, it the farm developed, the manor area developed, and it kind of became the center of this area. In 1596, it was the setting of one of the largest battles in what we call the Club War, which was a peasant uprising against feudal lords. If it's not a giveaway, it was called the Club War because the peasants used blunt weapons like clubs against their heavily armored enemies. You know, the feudal lords. Lords? I can't talk today. Feudal lords? Yeah, what the heck's a feudal lord, Dave? Feudal lord. Feudal lord. Uh, Spoiler alert. They lost. They lost. The the clubs weren't very effective against heavy armor. And yeah, the leaders of the revolt were executed. It was brutal. And it's relevant because it's the last major peasant revolt in Finland that ever occurred. So in 1865, uh, Frederick Itastam, established a groundwood pulp mill on the banks of the Tamaraski Rapids in the town of Tampier. Tampier? Tampier. You know Finnish at all? Tampere. Yeah, you know me, Dave. I'm just an expert on Finnish language. That mill was successful in 1868. He built a second mill near the town of Nokia, which is about nine miles west, because the river that it sat on, the Nokia Verta, was better for hydropower. It was a successful business, and so in 1871, alongside his friend Leo Michelin, Frederick Idestam established the Nokia Corporation. Now, Michelin wanted to use the resources that they had and go into the electricity business as electricity became a thing, but Idestam refused. About 20 years later, in 1896, Idestam retired, Michelin became the company's chairman, and guess what? Nokia went into the electricity business. <laughs> that man bided his time. Yeah, he knew what he wanted and he did not take any time to get it once he could. <laughs> he said, he said, I'm going to wait this guy out for 20 years. <laughs> Oy vey. So That's starting, dedication, Dave. 100%. So 1902, Nokia goes into electricity business and for a short while, things were good. In 1898, shortly after Idishtam retired, Edward Pallone founded the Finnish Rubber Works Company, which was completely unrelated to Nokia. No joke. They made galoshes and other rubber products in factories, which was also near Nokia, the town, and they used the town's name in the company branding. Coming out of World War I, the original Nokia Corporation was nearing bankruptcy. They just didn't weather the storm, you know, with all the cut and everything that happened in World War I. They didn't do well, so they were nearing bankruptcy. 
So Edward Pallone and his Finnish Rubber Works swooped in and acquired them in 1918. Now, the rubber business must have been doing exceptionally well because shortly thereafter, in 1922, he also acquired the Finnish Cable Works, which produced telephone, telegraph, and electrical cables. And for years, these three companies existed as a de facto group. They were a cluster of three large companies that just kind of came together and existed in the 1920s. They were oversaw by the board of directors of the rubber company specifically and by the CEO of the Finnish Rubber Works, Edward Pallone. And they kind of did business as Nokia, but it was more in reference to the town than a company, which was done on purpose to distinguish themselves from Russian competitors. Because I don't know if you know geography, but Finland is right next to the Soviet Union. Or, you know, so Good to now, know. I'm now, not very good at geography. Now Russia. So they wanted people to know this is not Russian rubber. These aren't Russian cables. In fact, they thrived over the fact that after the war, when uh, specifically World War II, when Russia had to rebuild, they reaped windfalls because they used the Finnish cable works to help rebuild you know their telephone electrical cables so on and so forth that's actually where nokia got a lot of its wealth from early on it wasn't until 1967 that these three companies were merged together to form the modern day nokia corporation which technically was the old nokia (laughs) it's really weird but it was restructured now into four major businesses they had forestry they did cable work they did rubber production and they worked on electronics. For the sake of today's topic, we're going to focus specifically on their electronics business. At some point in the 1960s, Nokia had started producing commercial and military mobile radio phones. That technology was commercialized when they partnered with a company called Solora to develop radio car phones. In 1971, their joint efforts resulted in the first commercially available mobile phone network in Finland. And by 1978, Finland had 100% mobile phone coverage because of this network. It's referred to as zero G because it's not really what we call modern cellular network technology. It couldn't seamlessly switch between cells. Hence why we call modern ones cell phones because of the way towers operate. So it's it's basically like more like walkie talkies, <laughs> I guess. Now, nah, it operates at a different frequency than cell phones. It's the same concept, but didn't have telephone switching back in this network. Telephone switching was still done manually by people on a switchboard, which is really weird to think about a cell phone that would have to be manually switched. That's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. The venture between Nokia and Solora would result in a brand called Mobira, which developed mobile phones for the Nordic Mobile Telephone Network, NMT. Uh, NMT became commercially available in 1981 as the first fully automatic seller phone system. So their their experience with the non-switching network eventually turned into experience with the first switching network. In 1984, Nokia purchased Solora and it renamed its telecommunications division Nokia Mobera, Nokia Dash Mobera. That same year, they launched an early portable phone called the Mobero Talkman. It wasn't until 1987 
that they launched their first mobile phone, the Mobera Cityman 900. During the period of the night, late 80s, however, the Nokia Corporation was experiencing financial difficulties. Its rubber works kind of evolved into a tire and footwear company. They were separated to become Nokian tires and Nokian footwear in 1988 and 1989. Uh, they also sold off the paper division in 1989. These are all things that they did to try to get a footing um, you know, with, with their financial situation. They started to spin off and sell all their, all their divisions. During this period, they streamlined their telecommunications division and they changed the name Nokia Mobera simply to become Nokia mobile phones. So that would be about 19, late 1980s. Slowly, they ended up selling everything that wasn't telecommunication off. They used that money to retool their telecommunication efforts. And by the mid-90s, telecommunications was Nokia's only concern, which was a really good thing because eventually, eventually, they would find themselves unable to meet demand for their mobile phones, had to completely change up their supply chain, and just kind of make things work. I don't know if you know, they were pretty successful at it between 1998 and 2012. Nokia was the world's largest mobile phone manufacturer. I mean, I'm really not surprised. Uh, it seems that a lot of phones in the beginning were Nokia, but they also lasted forever. So it's kind of shocking that, there were so many new ones when they just never broke. That's very true. But think about it. What was pushing the new ones forward? New technology. That's fair. Yeah. People people weren't buying mobile phones because they were breaking. People were buying new phones because they wanted to lead us in the greatest. How is that different from now? Hmm. I don't think the technology progresses like it did, but I mean, even in your lifetime, you know, because 98 to 2012 is your lifetime. Mobile phone has probably been one of the single greatest technologies to have advanced like throughout the world. Just think, I mean, in 98, we had the Nokia bricks, basically, you know, 1970s, we had those big old car phones. 1998, we had bricks. By 2012, we had smartphones. I mean, they lost the mobile phone manufacturer because the iPhone, if I'm not mistaken, in that, what is that, 13 years, 14 years, we went from a brick phone to a little palm computer, you know, computer in the palm of your hand. So it's definitely crazy when you think the uh, the speed at which technology has advanced Personally, I think that smartphone are like for our generations, the greatest invention of our generations. They have absolutely revolutionized the way we do everything. I mean, we call this the information age because they they have literally put the wealth and the Internet. I can't dismiss the Internet. There would be no mobile phones without the Internet. But together, they pretty much put the wealth of information at people's fingertips, you know. Yeah, but it also created a lot of problems, too. So I guess it's really just how you use it. Everything creates problems. So. So Nokia is 
growing into a tele so as Nokia is growing into a telecommunications leader, people elsewhere across the world are enjoying a style of video games that we now call snake games, like Slithering Snake. It was first seen in November of 1976 as a video game called Blockade. Blockade was designed by Lane Hawk, Ago Kiss, and Bob Pecorero. I'm glad I got that name. If it wasn't for sports, I would never have gotten Pecorero. They all worked for Gremlin Industries. We looked at Gremlin before. It's Sega Gremlin at some point. And they put out some decently known arcade cabinets in this period. Blockade was released as a two-player arcade cabinet. Each player moves their character, leaving a solid line behind them. First player to hit something loses, and the other player gains a point. Six points nets you a wind. And like many other games that are released during this period in arcades, it wasn't long before we started seeing other blockade-style games. Metal Games cloned it in 1976. Later that year, they released it as a game called Bigfoot Bonkers. Hmm. Right? That's a fun game name. Atari turned the concept into a game called Dominoes, which was produced as both a two-player and four-player arcade cabinet in 1977. In Dominoes, you're trying to get your opponent to hit something uh, before you manage before you manage to hit something. And when you do hit something or when they hit something, it, it, it the animation is dominoes. It's a whole line of dominoes falling down. Hence why they call it dominoes. They brought the concept into homes with a game called Surround, which was released in 1977 for the Atari 2600. The same game was sold by Sears as Chase. The Sears Telestar, the Atari 2600, was sold by by Sears as a Tele, Telestar? Tele-something. And a similar game called Checkmate was released for the Bally Astrocade, which was another second-generation home console that complete completed. I wrote completed, but it's obviously competed. Uh, another home console that competed with the Atari 2600. In 1982, we almost saw a snake proper when Mattel released a game called Snafu for their Intellivision console. The story behind this one is that the original working title for the game was going to be Blockade Plus Snakes, which was going to be named after both the games that inspired it. Of course, we know what Blockade was, but Snakes was a little handheld toy version of this game that Mattel was working on. They never ended up releasing it, though. For reasons that I, I couldn't nail down otherwise, maybe it corresponded with the fact they decided not to release it. Mattel just decided to name it SNAFU after the military acronym. They just changed it to SNAFU at some point during development. We've talked about arcades and home consoles, but home computers saw some snake releases during this early period. The first home version, the first home computer version that we know of was called Worm, and it was programmed by Peter Trefonis for the TRS-80 in 1978. He wrote games to earn money while finishing his undergraduate degree. 
which is funny because he's now known for creating innovations in anti-reflective coatings and polymer photoresistors that revolutionize the way we create circuitry for computer chips. So this dude revolutionized the the computer chip manufacturing process, basically like created some of the methods that were used to really start shrinking down computer chips. And, you know, to earn money, he wrote Worm. Wow. It's just funny. And in 1982, we kind of saw the first game that was more or less it was basically the first game that was more so designed like the snake that we really all know and love today um, it was written by chuck somerville for the apple II. it was published by serious software it's called snake bite snake bite is a single player game in which a player controls a snake and must eat 10 apples to successfully advance to the next level each time the snake eats an apple it grows larger and larger and it moves faster. As the levels increase, more obstacles are placed in your way. All in all, there are 28 levels. So 1982 is really the first time we saw an actual snake game in what would become the snake genre, so to speak. That same year, Bally Midway used the concept in their Tron arcade cabinet for the light cycle game, where as your light cycle creates trails, like you, you know, your light cycle creates trails and you have to get your enemies to crash into your trail. And yeah, so you had a bunch of these. So as the years went by, you had all these little versions of this game, you know, th- this game that this game that would eventually become Snake. And, you know, there were all these little variations on the theme that people would kind of play with and repeat and modify over and over and over and over again. So there's no doubt that Tonelli Amaranto, Tonelli Armanto, rather, played at least one of them. Born in 1965, Tonelli grew up loving board games, not video games. His school didn't even receive a computer until he was a teenager, and it was shared by all members of an IT group at school where each person could like schedule time to sit at the computer and be taught how to program. So it was a timeshare computer for an IT group. It was shortly thereafter that the Commodore 64 became popular. And in the Commodore 64, Tonelli saw the possibility of a future in computer programming. So he went to university to study computer science and mathematics. And after receiving his undergraduate degree, he joined the Nokia Corporation, which was headquartered near his hometown in Finland. So initially, he worked on a team that created user interfaces for some of the early mobile handsets created by Nokia. Uh, At some point, he turned what he called a love of music into contributions into the ringtones on the phone. He was fascinated by how he could, quote, unquote, program music. You know, it was neat to him to turn words into musical ringtones. But at some point, one of his colleagues was tasked with exploring the possibilities of gaming applications on mobile phones. His colleague had recently played a computer game. It was credited as being created by one T. Armanto. And Armanto was a rare name in Finland, so the colleague assumed that Tonelli Armanto was behind the game. 
it wasn't Tonelli, but it was in fact his nephew. With that being said, when they came knocking at Tonelli's door to join the team and work on this project, he just kind of didn't tell him that it was his nephew. He kind of omitted that fact. Nice. Right? Right? So, they're designed with the interface on one of Nokia's new mobile phones, and gaming applications is a part of the puzzle, but there are other parts of the puzzle, too. He works on the code for the phone's calculator, he works on the code for the, the calendar of it, and then they went back to this concept of gaming that they were looking for. More specifically, what everyone was hoping for was the fact that this game, this phone was going to have an infrared link in it. And the marketing department wanted this team to create a mobile game to be included with the phone that was going to take advantage and showcase the fact that this phone had an infrared link. So they were looking for a really simple two-player game that could be played within the limitations of the phone. Now, limitations, you know, control-wise, you only had the phone's keypad. It was a normal phone. It had a numerical keypad on it. The display on the phone was only going to be 48 by 84 pixels, and only black pixels at that. That's not a whole lot of space or definitely no color to work with, you know? And it was a phone. Uh, it didn't have functionality at the time. So the amount of memory that they had to work with was basically slim to none. So what then can you make to show off the gaming capabilities of such a limited, but also technologically awesome phone? Because, I mean, we're calling it limited, but at the time it was cutting edge, you know? So the team first turned to Tetris. I mean, let's be fair. Tetris has been put on a toaster at this point. Uh, it could certainly be made with all these limitations. They did, in fact, can you make confirm that, Dave? That, that Tetris has been put on a toaster? Yeah. No. Mm. Doom has been put on a toaster. I'm, I saw a video of that. We've talked about that before, that I've seen Doom on a pregnancy test, too. That one blew my <laughs> mind. That's still hilarious. I'm sure someone's put Tetris on them, too. I mean, Tetris is probably just as easy. So they did actually at Nokia make and test a working model of Tetris for this phone. But as they explored the possibility of including it, they ran into issues with copyright. Namely, the Tetris company wanted a licensing fee for each version, each copy of their game release into the world. And so Nokia was faced with considering the possibility of paying Tetris for every single one of these handsets that they produced and sold. And frankly, Nokia wasn't about to do that. Luckily, Tonelli recalled in a later interview, I had recently played a game that fit our purposes on a Macintosh computer. It was a game with two snakes controlled by two players, both on their own side of the keyboard. So I suggested we test whether or not we can implement that between two handsets, both, of course, controlling their snake with their own handset. Some research was done to see who currently, quote unquote, owned the copyright for a snake like game, but none was found. So they moved forward with the project. 
Snake was written in C language, like everything else in the handset. It was written line by line, meticulously, with some modifications made along the way. You know, while testing out the game, Tonelli noticed that it was difficult to go towards the edge of the screen and make a 90 degree turn without crashing. So he began to think of ways to avoid this, which he thought would lessen player frustration. And the solution that he came up with was to add a tiny little delay to the crash so that the player has a few more milliseconds to react and save the snake. And that made it easier to continue playing even as the speeds increased and the game got harder. Tonelli, in hindsight, feels that that was an important change he made to the game. He feels, he kind of hopes that it had a positive impact on how people view his game. And it might have been that little, for all we know, it might have been that little change that made it like so palatable to the masses, you know? Yeah, for sure. So they got this phone together, they programmed it, and in 1998, Nokia released its 196110 model. And Tonelli's copy of Snake is included on each and every one. Did you even know that was two player? No, I had no idea. I had no idea either. I mean, it was designed as a two player game. I don't know anyone who ever played that two player. At all. Yeah, I I'm, couldn't tell you anyone either. I mean, do you re- do you? Re- I, I mean, this is 98. You were really young. I was going to ask you if you knew anyone who had the phone. I remember lots of people had the phone, so. No, not not yeah. that at all. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> no, what do you mean you don't remember your toddler years? <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. You should remember them like it's yesterday. I know, right? Yeah, I knew lots of people that had that one and people that played Snake. I mean, it was everywhere for a minute, but I had no clue that it was a two player game in the slightest. Uh, absolutely in the slightest, but it was. It was released on a 6110, and now here we are telling you about its story. And speaking of story, do you have a story that you're dying to tell? Are you interested in starting your own podcast but just don't know where to start? Our friends at Zencaster have created an all-in-one suite of podcasting tools that makes it easier than ever to create your own podcasting content. With Zencaster, it's super easy to record a podcast. Everyone logs in using their web browser, and you just start recording a high-quality podcast right away. It allows you to record up to 4K video with your guests. And with Zencaster's multi-layered backups, you always have the highest-quality recordings, even if the connection is unstable. With Zencaster, you also never have to worry about what you sound like. Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes those ums and ahs, removes all those awkward pauses and conversation. You can set the right podcast loudness. You can reduce background noise. These are all simple things to do at the click of a button. And if the thought of podcasting overwhelms you because you think you need tons of different tools and services, relax. Those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. So if you'd like to start your own podcast, or maybe you want to take your current podcast to the next level, we've got a deal for you. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use the code memory card lane. You'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. Sign up for Zencaster today. 
and you can experience the same ease in producing your own high-quality podcast as we do each week. Go out and share your ideas with the world. So Nokia had great ideas to share with the world. You know, they released their mobile phone, and by including Snake, they shared Snake with lots of people. Nokia sold millions of phones across the globe. I read in one article that thanks to Nokia, Snake was introduced to no less than 350 million people, which is just crazy to think of. Now, I don't think that this is specific to a single model because Snake was included in a majority of their phones, starting with the 6110, but that is an absolutely insane number, 350 million, insane number to think about. Yeah, it is. And if that was one version, it would be like the greatest selling video game of all time, basically. <laughs> so A little bit. Snake 2 was included on their 3310 model, which was released in the year 2000. They released a game called Snake Zenzia with their later model monochrome phones, specifically their Series 30 phones. It was a whole series of phones that started production in 2003. When Nokia's phones started to come with a color screen, Snake became Snake EX, which was first introduced with the Nokia 9290 communicator in 2002. A year later, in 2003, Nokia phones of a different kind started to come with an updated version called Snake EX2. So you have Snake Zenzia on the 30s. You have Snake EX on the communicator for color screens. And then later on, when they redid everything, they kind of turned uh, an updated version to EX2. It's a little confusing, but it's just updates, iterations on the same thing. And then, 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 let's take a detour and talk about the N-Gage. Rob, do you remember the N-Gage at all? I cannot say that I do, Dave. So the N-Gage was Nokia's mobile gaming system. It combined the features of a mobile phone and a handheld gaming system. Nokia designed it to lure gamers away from the Game Boy Advance. They spent some decent time and money to develop the N-Gage. It basically looks like a handheld. Like Think, uh, think of a, a Game Boy Advance, that vertical style Game Boy, right? But you have a control pad on one side and like a keypad on the other. Like instead of the normal buttons that we would have, it has actually has a numerical keypad on that side. And that's basically what, what an end gauge is. They released it in November of 2002. And I mean, it really didn't do very well. It resembles a taco because the way it's shaped. So it's commonly called the taco phone. And those buttons, those phone buttons on that side, they were designed for a telephone. They were not designed for a handheld gaming console. So they just didn't feel right for most people like an avid gamer. It, it just didn't. It didn't. It didn't. I don't know any other way to put it, you know? Yeah, it's definitely a weird looking phone having just looked it up. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's a. I mean, you can see what they were trying to do, can't you? Oh, 100% you can see the attempt, but uh, it just, it, it doesn't look like it was going to work that way. That I was mean, it very was, interesting. It was exciting. 
I didn't even gonna lie, it was exciting. I mean, it was that was a time when mobile phones were advancing really quick, and here you had you know someone that was trying to make a, a mobile gaming platform that was also a phone. Like in theory, it was cool. I remember that like there was some skepticism around it, but also a lot of hype because of what it was. I mean, it was a, it was a, frankly, it was a cool concept. I mean, it's a cool concept. Just the implementation didn't, it didn't stick, you know? Right. They tried, they tried to make it stick. There are 58 games released for the platform. There are lots of other systems out there that don't even have 58 games for them. To be fair. Um, some of the highlights for the end gauge, they include call of duty, uh, Civ 2, Civilization 2 was released for the N-Gage. This is circa 2004, so you have FIFA 2004 and NCAA Football 2004. I'd be surprised if there wasn't a Madden. Uh, Crash Nitro Kart, Pathway to Glory. There was a version of Snake made specifically for the N-Gage. Uh, the Sims Bustin' Out was made for the N-Gage, as was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And a Splinter Cell game was made for the N-Gage. So, I mean, it's not like they just try to throw wimpy little games at it. Like, there were some major gaming franchises that, that Nokia managed to sign on and get on board and produce games for the N-Gage, you know? True. But it never caught on. And it only lasted... I mean, it was released in November 2002... And they discontinued it in February of 2006. So that's barely four years. Not even, right? Right. Yeah. By 2006, the mobile phones were kind of evolving. You know, they were they were evolving to what we know mobile phones are as today. So actual gaming devices. So Nokia kind of nixed the end gauge and they decided to be a normal phone manufacturer. <laughs> and moved gaming to their actual mobile phones. And they turned the Engage name into a gaming service. So like, you know, if you wanted to play a game on your phone, you download it off the Engage network. It's kind of our Engage store, basically. It became their came their gaming platform instead of their actual physical gaming hardware. That's what that's how they evolved it. Um they ended up putting another snake game on the engage platform that was called snakes subsonic and it got released in may of 2008 and they never really stopped snake three was a 3d version of snakes that took a more living snake approach so it wasn't it, it made it look like real grass and a real snake that's on some nokia phone circa 2005 in, 2000, in 2017, Nokia revived some of those old classic phones. They kind of up, they modernized them. There's a 3310, a 5310, 8110. They all had a modern version of the game that they simply recalled Snake. So it's back again. And they slittered that version onto Facebook Messenger as well. So, so I mean, they've just kind of, they took what they did in 1998 and they haven't let it go for... 20 some years now <laughs> you know yeah but let's for a moment let's take a step back because as not important snake is because let's be honest about one thing how many people do you know play snake nowadays not snake per se but wasn't uh, there like an io game that was pretty popular that was oh, the same concept Slither. 
slither.io yeah. yeah yeah very true that is a valid point i would venture that snake it's uh, you're right i guess the genre is never gonna die with that being said because snake io was a, a definitely an addition to the genre um, but snake itself i don't think is as popular but it is incredibly important you know our little version of snake the one released in what 97 or 98 on the nokia 6110 that is probably historically the first major mobile game release ever um to be fair you know i we had talked about it it reached millions upon millions upon millions of people it introduced a whole generation multiple generations of of phone users to the concept that their mobile phones could also be a gaming device it kind okay. of helped them realize that we were moving towards a singular device and not separate devices for phones and gaming. Not to mention other things because they programmed what a calculator and a calendar onto that device too. So that 6110 was, was really a step in the right direction for you know all these things that would come on phones now. And I mean, let's be fair. It likely introduced a whole slew of casual gamers into the mix. There were people that probably never played video games that were now wasting time playing Snake on their phones, and that would become a gateway that would lead them to consider future casual gaming releases. Somewhere out there, there's probably a whole generation of video gamers that remember Snake as one of the first video games they'll ever have played. Let's be fair about that, you know? Yeah, that's very true when you think about it that way. And all in all, I mean, it's kind of an awesome thought. It's it's a bummer that they don't necessarily get credit for it, but those, you know, back in 96 when those guys made Blockade for the arcades, I don't think that they had any idea that this gaming concept that they created, this two-person line-chasing gaming concept... Uh, that they invented would have inevitably become a gateway to mobile gaming. I mean, that let's be fair in 1976. I'm, they didn't even know that home consoles were going to be a thing, let alone a handheld phone or gaming device. But you know what? That's neither here nor there. So it's just crazy to think about. It's, it's, it's one of those things. It's really awesome to think that such a basic game could have such a great impact on so many people. You know? Yeah, no, you got a 100% point there, Dave, and you didn't really think of it that way, but you're right. It, it was definitely a huge step. Well, and, and like, it's it's not a game that there's a whole bunch to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, it's Snake. Yeah, you eat apples, you get larger, you go faster, you grow, and you just keep trying not to hit yourself or hit the walls or anything. Like, it's not it's not a complex game. It, it's it, it doesn't, you know, not to take away from it, but it doesn't require a whole lot of strategy doesn't require a whole lot of effort. You just got to, I mean, I guess for the most part, have good reflexes. Maybe some good strategy. I don't know. But it's not it's not a very complex game. And yet it's it's probably one of the it or all its variations are probably one of the most played video games of all time in one way, shape or form, to be fair. So. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about. Definitely is, Dave. Well, 
if that is something you'd like to think about, or maybe you'd like to check out some of the other games that we talked about in the beginning, like RuneScape, or what else did we talk about in the beginning? What else did we talk about in the beginning? See, my memory is always not serving me. We talked about we talked about Gran Turismo. That's the other thing. I knew you had talked about something. You're really good about that. If you'd like to check out any of those old episodes, you can do so by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people do on our website? Well, you can find a calendar of our future episodes, maybe put in a little bit of information that you might know about those, or just give us your opinion on them. You can find links to our Discord, where you can come talk with Dave and I about whatever you might want to have a little chat with us about. You can find a link to our Patreon, where you can help support us, get access to ad-free and unedited episodes. And you can find links to our social media, where I can be found on several platforms, as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I can be found on various platforms, as David is wrong. Each week, we'll tell you a story from the current week in gaming history. Be about a game, console, technology. Just has to be relevant to this week in gaming history. In doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. When we teach you things, we learn things. That's my favorite part about doing this week in, week out, is that every time I sit down and do the research for a new episode... I learn new things, then I get to sit here every week and I get to teach you, my listeners, and Rob, my co-host, I get to teach all you guys new things every week. And that's fantastic. It's this whole cycle of teaching and learning and teaching and learning, and I love it so much that every week we celebrate it by talking about what we have learned. Rob, what did you learn today? Well, Dave, I think that my biggest surprise is not knowing that Nokia, even though most of them failed, had so many different branches to start. Like, I've obviously like I've only ever known them as Nokia, like the phone. That's it. But like rubber telecom makes sense. Okay, yeah, they're in telecom, but they're in rubber Mm -hmm. electricity Mm -hmm. were. They were, but yeah, were, get, but yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, that's just it's crazy to think that. And, and they started I mean, out in forestry. In forestry. Yeah. So a lot of it kind of comes together in the end to form what is the phone. But it's just weird. It's a lot of different companies that. It's crazy to see that they took all of that for it to find where it succeeded. But again, it's just that perseverance that they did find where they could succeed. Well, at any point, too, someone could have made a wrong decision. We couldn't have Nokia. You know, they were going bankrupt coming out of the World War, First World War. Electricity did not ended up not being a profitable thing for them in a long run. And they were, you know, financially not doing well again through the 80s. And so there's all these moments in which they could have fallen the other way and the right people came into the job at the right time and slowly just streamlined them into the Nokia we know today that that for years was one of the most successful electronics companies in the in the world, you know. Absolutely, Dave. So, so that's it for me. How about yourself? I think my favorite thing was the fact that Snake was a two player game. OK, uh, that is pretty good. Yeah, I just yeah. I just like don't get me wrong. I enjoyed learning about the history of Nokia. Like, you know, I we all know I love history. That's why I'm here doing this every week. So like getting to dive into the fact that Nokia was a, you know, little river community and 
then the Nokia Corporation was a pulp mill. I mean, they just they cut down trees and, and created them into pulp and sent that away to a paper mill where the paper mill did their thing, you know. It, interesting to me that they started out that way and then again streamlined the whole way. But I think my 100%, like the one thing I was like, huh, that's shocking. Had no clue Snake was a two player game. None whatsoever. None. Zero inkling. So that's my that's my favorite thing. I like being surprised. Like, I don't know. I like being surprised. Every week when I do research, it's a rabbit hole for me. Like I find something and I learn something new and then I have to chase it down. And then that kind of, you know, I have all these other topics I want to do or things that I don't quite know how to turn into episode topics because I keep finding things, games I've never heard of, companies I've never heard of. Like every week, it's just a freaking adventure doing the research for this podcast. So it's fun. Lots of fun. Got a point there. I, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So two player game, Snake, fan fantastic fantastic well that's about it for the history of nokia i i don't know that'll do it rob before i take it out of here is there anything else you'd like to add to today's episode well dave as always i do want to take one quick moment to say thank you so much to all of our listeners it means the world to us that you join us week in and week out learning the history of games in one way shape or another so thank you true All right, my digital snake charmers, we've slithered through the pixelated landscapes of snake and we unearthed some surprising twists along the way. But next week, instead of snaking around, we'll be turning to the sensation of swinging through the city. That's right, we'll be swapping out those slippery snakes for the web-slinging adventures of Spider-Man. Starting with his humble beginnings, we'll be taking an exhilarating journey at Spider-Man's creation. We'll look at his very first video game And we'll take a look at some of his games that have been created since. So mark those calendars and web sling your way here next week for an episode that's sure to have you sticking around for more on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do bad and bow. 